Wow, a Marvel thing that's impressive. Hello, interwebs, and welcome to Close Up. I'm your co-host, Joe. And I'm Ryan. Today we talk about Loki, season two. Spoilers for season two and season one. Show's done now, I think. So basically the whole series. Let's zoom right in past our Maybe. extreme long shot into our medium shot and tell me about your history with the Loki show or character. But I think we know the history with the character. Yeah, we know the history. Yeah. Well, Loki was, I think, maybe the second Marvel show to come out on Disney Plus. If I it can was, recall, I think it one was of the, the early third. ones. I think it was the third. Third. One. I think it was WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier and then Loki. If I recall, really, Falcon was the second. I remember that. Mm, Wanda was the first. So it was after. Okay. The, it was third or fourth. Yeah, I know it was one of the earlier ones. Uh, yeah. So and I remember, like when the hype for the first season was happening, I was like, I didn't really care that much because I know Loki is a popular character, but he just wasn't ever one of my personal favorites. And then I watched the first season, and I was immediately very impressed by it in terms of not really just like Loki as a character, uh, but just the aesthetic of it. I love the production design element around the TVA, the costume design as well. I mean, talk about like instantly iconic. A lot of MCU fans I've seen at conventions or Halloween wear that TVA prisoner outfit or try to wear like the TVA guard stuff. Um, yeah, fun show for the first season all around, and I was uh, happy that season two was announced kind of really at the end of season one, now that I think about it. Um, yeah, that's my history with this show. Just realized I forgot to have my mic mute on. That's important. So my history with Loki is essentially the same as yours there. Uh my first exposure to him was probably in the first Thor movie in 2011. I knew about Loki from the comics, so he was the very first enemy the Avengers ever faced in the comic books. Avengers number one, basically the plot of the first Avengers movie. I've read it. I mean, it's there's a lot of differences, but they, they got Loki as the main villain. So that's that was a, a good sign of um, reverence for the source material. And Loki never really resonated with me back then, but I always thought he was one of Marvel's most interesting villains. If only because he's the only one in phase one that they dared to bring back and keep alive. Loki was always interesting to me because Marvel actually let him be an arch nemesis, like from the comics, somebody who'd keep coming back and causing more grief for their hero over time, let a real natural relationship build between him and Thor, both his brothers and his frenemies. It's, and Tom Hiddleston's performance was always incredibly charismatic. Loki was the kind of character you just couldn't help but want to see back. Although when I heard he was getting his own show, I was pretty hesitant about that because I thought he already got a, good enough ending in Infinity War. I mean, it wasn't a satisfying ending for him. It was more of a shock value ending. But I still respected that that movie opened up with them killing Loki off. Oh, shit. Thanos just snapped Loki's neck. That's crazy. 
that shows the real stakes of this movie. And I was okay with that being the end. But no, no, we're going to have a Loki show that follows a random variant of Loki from Endgame when he stole the Tesseract and went off to who knows where. And I was like, oh, no, this could be really, really stupid. Loki just gallivanting around with the Tesseract. And I had my expectations pleasantly subverted in season one when the very first scene he seals the Tesseract and the TVA comes to prune him. They're like, no. You aren't doing that. Oh, okay. The show is going in a direction I have no idea. I'm intrigued. And then season one had me hooked in pretty early with the relationship between him and Owen Wilson's Mobius. I always thought they were the heart of the show. Then sort of lost me halfway through. It started feeling like a lot of filler and I didn't really like how the plot was going. Like episodes three, four, and five really did nothing for me. Uh, and then episode six picked back up again, I thought it was really good. So I had, I always had more mixed emotions about season one of Loki. A lot of Marvel fans in my life and on the internet hold it up with a lot of reverence and they're, oh, Loki's so good. Yeah, Ryan's pointing That's at me. himself there. <laughs> Loki's so good. And I'm like, yeah, I never really got it. I never really got the hype on it. I liked it. I just didn't like it as much as everybody else, and that really pissed people off. Um, yeah. I mean, credit to yourself. I will defend you a little bit. You're not saying it's bad. You're just like, you're just not think. You, again, it's not the most phenomenal show out there. I just think aesthetically where it came from, like WandaVision is a great show, I think, or it was a great show. I, I don't think they're doing another season. They should. Um Actually, no, it's too late because they fucking killed her off in some tweet. Whatever. Guys, um, it pissed me off. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, I just think the aesthetic of it and the entire plot line of, okay, how are we doing the multiverse, multiverse stuff really helps set up the MCU into how they're going to take on the multiverse saga. Although they still haven't really tackled it, but that's not Loki's fault. Um, yeah, I think that's why people were hyped about it was it was set up, but also it was kind of its own thing. I do agree with you, though. There is like especially episode three felt very fillery um, when they when him and Sylvie are off on a branch timeline or something like that. And their transporter thing got broken and. And then they're just like sitting there about to die on this planet. And then the next episode or at the end of that episode, they're saved right away. So it's like nothing happened besides a little bit of character development. But yeah, I mean, I still think it was phenomenal because it was just it tried to do something different. Um, and just like you said, it subverted my expectations right away of what a Loki show could be. And even season two, speaking of, subvert, uh, subverted my expectations even more. Yeah, Loki season one was, I have a little more fondness for it now, because at the time Marvel was, I hadn't really soured on phase four yet at that point. This was, I think it was the third TV show though, on Disney Plus, like we were saying. WandaVision came out the gate, great. I love that show. Falcon and the Winter Soldier disappointed me like crazy. I really don't like that one. And Loki, I thought was just, okay at the time 
but we've gotten so much worse from the MCU as a brand since then that I've, I, I can't say I've really come around on Loki season one, but I appreciate it more, especially in context of season two. Now I, the ending to season two really made me see this as a 12 part story. It's not necessarily two distinct seasons of TV because season two picks up right where season one leaves off. It's effectively a 12 hour story about Loki and the TVA with a clear beginning, midpoint and ending that builds on itself nicely. And that's a good time to talk about uh, season two. Now getting into our close up. I, I really enjoyed this one. I love my it. expectations were low, but yeah, this is the best Marvel thing in a couple years for me. I'm, I haven't felt this good about the brand in a while, to be honest. Well, the funny thing with me is I watched the first two episodes sort of back to back. Um, and I was like, yeah, this is pretty good. It's pretty decent. It's, you know, not anything insane, um, but at least it's entertaining. And then I sort of took a break for a few weeks. And then right before the final episode came out, I kind of binged the next three. And then it just became more and more enjoyable in terms of like just actually good quality television. And then the uh, the final episode happened, and I was pleasantly surprised and like, wow, Loki has a, like a full character arc, and from this entire, like, I was fine with his ending in Infinity War as well because I didn't care about him that much. But here, he's like, he's fully developed into who he is now. Like, he's had you can totally see from start to finish a complete change in his character, and I loved how seamless in this show it really is i mean he's probably one of the best marvel written characters on screen that's come out in the past 10 years um yeah it's just it's strange like when talking about good television just show people like this show and be like i know it's mcu but at least they just followed the basics and then just came up with something creative Whereas a lot of MCU stuff nowadays, it's kind of they're going too basic and not really trying that hard, it seems like. Um, I did hear some news that because of the writer's strike, the only Marvel movie next year that's coming out is Deadpool 3. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, who knows if that's the same for shows? Probably not as well. Um, but yeah, like Loki season two. I've I've surprisingly loved it i did not think i was going to but i did loki like you said has been one of the best most consistently written characters in marvel's last 10 years but i'm thinking as of this moment that this show gave him the best ending of any character i've seen in the mcu which a testament to the quality of the writing of phase four and five. I didn't think we were going to get emotional payoffs like this again that I actually genuinely cared about. And maybe it helps that I've had, well, Thor came out in 2010, I think. So yeah, 13 years of investment in Loki. And like I said, I never really felt that invested in him. But by the end of Loki season two, it made me realize, you know what? This show did a fantastic job of building him into someone I actually care about. See, get a fitting ending for the character. 
And I, I really think that this ending for Loki is more fitting than anybody's, any of the original cast's endings from Endgame or how have we've seen afterwards. I, I mean, Cap and Peggy is still up there for me, but this just has a lot of thematic depth to it. Yeah. He had... This was a guy who, from his very beginning, was always isolated and alone in his own mind. Nobody really understood him. He had this ego because he knew he could be greater than the people around him believed. And he manifested that in awful ways. He killed a lot of innocent people. He tried to take over Earth, brokered deals with Thanos turned his back on his own brother and now we have a guy here who found a play he was forced into the TVA he didn't really want anything to do with it but here's a place where he found other misfits like him who were also basically cast aside by their societies even though they didn't really know it they're all variants none of them belong none of them really have a place in the universe and he found camaraderie there and genuine friendships for the first time in his life with Mobius and Sylvie, Casey, Ouroboros, B-15, etc. And he finally found his glorious purpose in the end. He finally got the one thing he wanted his entire life, which was just to be loved and feel a place where he belongs. And he intentionally gave that all up it's i think it's the perfect character arc because it's the classic what does a character want and what do they need loki wanted a throne he wanted to rule but he needed a place where he belonged and in the end he got what he wanted but that makes it all the more sad it's really well done to me that you can make a character getting their original desire feel sad in the end, because you know that's not what he needed by the end. And and now he'll never get that. He's stuck at the end of time for all eternity, and his glorious purpose is to overwatch the multiverse. It's it's a very tragic ending. It gave me genuine feels watching it. I love the moment when the radiation's hitting him. He's going across the stairs. He looks back at his friends, and then his clothes all rip off. The horns grow, and... It feels like he's really reached his full potential that he always knew he could get. And yeah, I mean, like some of the other and like I said, the other Avengers endings are satisfying, but something about this just hit me in a way none of the others have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's just it's sort of a bittersweet, beautiful ending for him because when we met him in Thor, he wanted power. He always wanted power, but the reason he wanted power was for selfish reasons and because he, you know, his father betrayed him. He's not really part of the family. He thought he could rule Asgard better than anybody else. He believes it's his by right. And in Loki, at the very end of it, he has that power. He has absolute power. He controls, you know, the weaves of fate or the, you know, threads of time, whatever you want to call it. But his motive for having that power is completely changed. And from start to finish, there's no doubt in my mind on being like, yeah, 
that makes sense of where he ended up after watching his entire arc for the past 13 years is that he finally has what he wants, but now he wants it for the right reasons. And it was a beautiful, beautiful ending for him, not just in terms of story, but just how it was shot and how it was, I I mean, the visual effects in this show are really well done. I mean, I couldn't really think or see any glare ups or, you know, mistakes in it because maybe because I was so invested in, in it, but just beautifully well done. And Tom Hiddleston's acting is, I think it's so underrated. I think he's, again, he's played the character for 13 years, but he just fully embodies the character like to his core. And he sucks you in into every scene that he's in. You never believe he's having an off day while shooting or that he's not really putting his 100% focus into it. He he truly cares about this character, and you can totally see that. Going back to the effects of the show for a minute, there's a lot of gorgeous imagery in this series. The ending of Loki going up to the... Uh, going up to his throne and creating... Uh, I'm not super well-versed on Norse mythology, but I've heard that he basically turned the multiverse into... Yggdrasil, I believe it's called, the Norse Tree of Life, which is a pretty beautiful metaphor. Yeah, it's, he did. Like yeah. that that imagery is incredible. I also loved the one from, I believe it was episode five, when he's trying to recruit Sylvie. And then it's just Sylvie at the record shop with that, with the one with the record store owner. And uh, he notices some weird things happening. The the like the guy outside turns to spaghetti, and then the mirror does, and then his coffee does. And Sylvie's just listening to music on the couch, just the world's disintegrating around her. Gorgeous. That was almost as shocking as the snap from Infinity War. I kind of got the same feeling Agreed. of just dread and just other like just absolute chaos <laughs> while watching that scene and. I had heard, and I want to take back a statement I had when I said it in private, that um, I had heard episode five was filler. I completely disagree with that now. It was completely necessary for (laughs) what episode five was. Um, With uh, Loki trying his best to combat, you know, the entire universe or the multiverse ending and the fact that he can't, he can't do it and... He's go. He goes back to which was shock for me. The, he goes back to talk to. He remains in that moment where Sylvie kills him, and uh, that was he's even six. Yeah, sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah. When he goes on to episode six, um, and when he is like, "There's only one way for you to win. You have to kill Sylvie so I can live and I can control it." And Loki's like, "No, I'm going to find another way," and I also he doesn't like find he- out right away. I like how when he confronted her later about it, but it was her present self, he told her the predicament and she's like, what do you expect me to give you my blessing for it or what? <laughs> like, no. Because I won't. <laughs> yeah, she still, I like how the character remained consistent that way. Uh, I liked Sylvia yeah. a lot more this season because they toned her down. Her one emotion wasn't just anger the whole time. Yeah, I think she was a little too big a part of last season. I didn't really get the appeal of that character at all. Like she was interesting 
on paper to me, but always felt pretty one-dimensional in execution. Um, but this year, I I thought she did a, a really good job. Uh, she was really... I like how her motivation changed more from wanting to just murder all the Kangs to, you know what, I'm fine just working at a McDonald's. That's a good enough purpose for me. Just living a boring, regular life. I earn that. And then she yeah. kind of gets sucked back into it because all of reality is being destroyed. It's uh, it's the simple things. And I just her, like her tone has changed. She's more she has more inner peace. She still has her ideals, which she does fight for, but it's less it's like you said about Loki. She's doing it more for the for the right reasons now. She still has an arc where she's she's still kind of coming to terms with oh well, I, I promised to kill all the Kangs and but Victor Timely is just an innocent guy. I didn't really realize how that would make me feel. Maybe Kang looked like maybe the he who remains looked like that too, and I just didn't notice. So scared to die. I so she's kind of regaining her humanity. Uh, ever since she made that fateful decision to blow this all wide open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Sylvie, was, I didn't really hate her as much as other people did in season one. I thought she was fine. Um, here, yeah, it's interesting that she took a bit of a backseat as well, but that le- left room for more of a... more scenes with Loki and uh, Mobius, which was great. Um, I love those two. I love that pair together. Um, just time space cops working together. Um, what else? What else? Yeah. Owen Wilson did phenomenal. I think his best episode oddly is episode five. I want to say where it's just, it's just him. Like, uh, like it's, it's him in the, in the life he should have had with him, with his boys and selling jet skis and just being happy. And then Loki comes in to basically tell him like, Hey, this isn't you or this is who you really are. And you have a bigger purpose. And he has this scene where he's like, what if I don't want a bigger purpose? Or is he's just like, I, what if I just want to, I'm just happy here with my boys. And then you see at the end of episode six, where he's, there's the, TVA Mobius looking at the normal life Mobius and he you can just he doesn't even say anything you just see this look of like damn that's the life I like could have had but that's just not me and it's so sad like his he's such a like a cheerful like happy guy and such a fun guy to watch but he's just got this like existential dread about him sometimes and Owen Wilson does a great job in it um I know him and Tom Hiddleston are good buddies in real life too, so that chemistry works out well. And uh, yeah, he's just—he's great. I love him. I hope to see him in like a movie someday. I think that's another reason I enjoyed season two a lot was because my main thing I liked about season one was the bromance between Mobius and Loki, which I thought got sidelined for the Sylvie Loki romance. They focused a lot more in on Loki and Mobius again this season. It showed that gold-tier pairing of Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston together uh, a, a lot more. Uh, I was just I was very satisfied with that. And I also love his ending, too. I don't remember exactly the line 
at the end, but I thought it was poignant when he's just looking at his kids and Sylvie's like, oh, well, what are you going to do now? I think I'll just wait here a while and let time pass. Something like that. Yeah. It's just something oddly beautiful about the ending of this show, which is weird to say about a modern MCU project. Like, I'm sorry, but who's ever... Whoever the showrunners are for Loki needs to run the main MCU products or at least Clearly work they on actually them in some care way. care what they're doing or we're giving creative freedom to yeah. make something actually compelling. It didn't feel like a paint by numbers. Let's just put this out. Let's set up 10 more years of the universe, shoehorn in characters who nobody's really that invested in, get cameos from everywhere. It didn't feel like a made-by-committee movie, which is what a lot of Phase 4 and 5 feel like. This feels like somebody had a vision for a 12-episode show starring Tom Hiddleston as this as the Loki character, and let's just tell that story. It's a, it's a big deal. It does tie in the, the multiverse saga. Kang's a big part of it, but you can watch these 12 episodes, and I do think they stand alone. Very much so. I mean, with a bit, with enough context with Thor. Like, you need to have seen at least Thor 1 in the Avengers to understand who Loki is, like, where he started going in, I think. But that's still better than most of the MCU today, where you need to watch all 20 movies of the Infinity Saga to understand anything. Two movies and a TV show isn't a bad investment. Yeah, well, also, like, to me, it's not even just about the like how they treat the characters in it, but it's also just how it's filmed. It's how it's created. It's the production design as well. It just feels, doesn't even feel like a TV show. It honestly feels like they made a 12 episode or what, like 12 hour movie. I I mean, just like the way everything is shot is it, the cinematic scale of, of everything. Even when they go to different timelines, you know, the extra work, I can't really tell if there's, it looks like real sets because it probably is. And the it way it is 100% yeah. it is. And well, I disagree with you that it felt more like a movie because to me, the fact that they did build these sets and they probably cost a lot of money. I noticed in season two that they reused a lot of sets specifically around the TVA. And even in right. that, uh, and even in episode five, when he goes back to the nineties and meets younger Ouroboros, his lab, is the same as the lab in the TVA, which I'm like, okay, well, functionally, that's obviously where he got the idea to make it look like that. But functionally in real life, they're just reusing sets. But it's still very, the amount of work they put into these sets is incredibly impressive. But the details, my point is, that's just what it makes it feel like TV to me. Because movies jump from place to place. Like season one felt more movie-like actually. Season two, because it focused on the same locations over and over again, for the most part, that made it feel more like a traditional TV show. That and most of the episodes actually tell standalone stories. They all have a a specific purpose to them. They're all kind of self-contained in their own way and move the story forward. This just felt like traditional TV more. Uh, than a than a mini series or um or a long movie, which I hate. I hate the. That's what season one, and that's my problem with season one. It felt like a movie. It sh- it should have been like a two and a half hour movie instead of a six hour 
miniseries. It felt like that's all the plot they had and they just filled in the gaps in the middle. This season to me felt like everything was needed. Nothing felt drawn out to me this year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I totally agree. I just, the level of detail in it is insane. And then also just the cinematography as a whole just feels like an MCU level movie production type to me as well. Also, the lighting is amazing. It's, it's just the little things that make it look cinematic to me. I, I don't know. I I really loved season two. <laughs> For sure. One of my big things that I loved about this season is that they seem to remember that Loki is Loki, if that makes sense. Yep. Season one, he kind of just wandered around like a lovesick puppy dog going after Sylvie. He seems to completely have lost his edge. He doesn't use magic at all. That uh, Not not really. Because like he, he couldn't. Ways. When it was in the TVA, they were, they, he, like they, there was no magic. It still just felt like that's just one thing they took away from. It's one more thing they took away from him. And then he he changed his character so completely just after seeing the vision of himself where he died and and was starting to develop these relationships. It just felt very forced in season one. This year felt a lot more natural. I noticed it, especially in episode two, when they were uh, chasing, I think, his X5, the uh, that brad guy the actor right I, yeah. I noticed is when they got there and he was doing that magical trickery thing with the shadows uh like putting multiple of himself there yeah i'm like ah I'm like, so here's the god of, I'm like here's the god of mischief or when he was torturing brad in the chamber with the 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 collapsing cube i'm like okay here's loki here's he's got his edge he's got a goal in mind, he's he's not letting people tell him what to do anymore. He's got the upper hand. Or, or that line later in the series when Sylvie's like, who are we to be deciding the fate of everybody? Like, we're gods. Yeah, so we're gods. And he yeah. becomes the freaking god of time or whatever he wants to be. Um, yeah, just like most of the lines and the character traits they gave him in this season of the show i'm like oh they the writers remembered this is loki it felt like a more evolved version of loki mind you but it felt more genuine loki to me this year which i'm yeah. a, i'm a big fan of yeah i i love it i love how this show portrayed the character and it's just also yeah like that scene where he's talking to sylvia about like who are we to decide that's just like smart dialogue as well and I love how also um, how they dealt with the time shifting. It wasn't too complex and they didn't try to make like trick people or they kind of, I don't know if they dumped it down or just simplified it for people to really understand like what, what time zone or like what time Loki is in, especially the one where <laughs> it's Loki time slipping all the way back to like uh, OB back in the day and then Obi's telling them in the in the future his that idea. Was great. I love that. Great, Kee Kwan, beautiful addition to the uh, to the show. Best addition of the yeah. year. He's so good. He blends in uh, so seamlessly. <laughs> there's there's a moment that reminded me of like <laughs> it was like that's a Joe quality where it's like I know the model looks rough. I haven't haven't had time to paint it. And it's like this beautiful. <laughs> 
it's this beautiful like rendition of of like the the loom and the little model of the astronaut and loki's like it's looks great it's just you're so hard on yourself yeah and he's got to do that how many hundreds of times for centuries every single time they come into that room he was reliving that same i love that joke where it's it's like well how long would it take me to learn uh physics centuries centuries later (laughs) i thought that That was was, funny that was incredible i once again that was a great moment of character development because it showed that he cares enough about this goal and and these people at the tva that he he will sacrifice centuries of his life at this point to protect them and i did like that sylvie called him out on that too when they were they were talking in the bar and then she's like, well, why are you doing this? Oh, well, we're, we're trying to save the universe. Nope, dragon. Nope, that's that, that's what I'm trying to do. No, it's not. Yeah, it's true. It's like, I want to save my friends. It's like, yeah, admit it. You have feelings. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, uh, back to Obi. He's, just, he's one of the best characters in the show. It's like, do you think it will work? Or it's like, do you know how to fix it? And he just goes, no. <laughs> he's just straight up honest I, I love his character um i also love it's i like the uh you don't know who really wrote the handbook it's like the what came first the chicken or the egg you know was it timely or was it ob i, I think that was really smart which and the fact that they I both do. wanted each other's autograph is really funny i was starting to figure out how that worked by the end i had a theory about that I mean, there's there's two things about it. The first thing I like that clearly it's the chicken. Or, <laughs> well, well, first of all, it's interesting that his name is Ouroboros, which is, I believe, the uh, the snake eating its own tail. He's just he's a paradox. Yeah, the, it's the, like you said, it's the chicken and the egg situation. His whole character is just okay, but how did you actually end up here with the Victor Timely circle? My answer to that is Victor Timely was a scientist who existed in the early 1900s, and the end of the show shows that Ouroboros was a scientist in the 90s. So to me, they didn't confirm any of this, but I think Victor Timely, in the Sacred Timeline, wrote enough science that he couldn't fulfill in his own time that this brilliant scientist in the 90s, Ouroboros, figured out and probably put into use at some point, wrote the time, wrote the time book, maybe went back in time to meet Victor Timely when he figured out the, the temp pad and all that. And then that probably made Victor Timely take advantage of the technology and turn into Kang. But I, I think that's what happened in, in my mind. Anyway, it, it was linear. And then Ouroboros made it a circular thing by going back in time. And that's, and then not, his memory got wiped at some point, obviously, which is why he wouldn't remember any of that because Kang yeah. wiped all the TVA. Yeah, it's possible. Um, yeah, he he's great. I love when he his episode five version, um, which is really sad because he's like he's a writer. He's got all his books like made, but nobody's buying them. And okay, this might be me being arrogant because I haven't read a lot of books, but. The woman, the librarian, was like, nobody cares about science fiction. Star Wars had come out, right? And Star Trek was on the air. So, like, that's a lie. But books are different, right? 
Am I, it's just, just me being arrogant. <laughs> uh, you mean people are less inclined to read sci-fi books or more? Yeah. yeah. Like what is yeah, it? Not, was it not a popular theme? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Dune was out. Dune is mm, the most. That's true. Like Dune had been around since before Star Wars or like Star Wars is directly inspired by Dune in many ways. There was also like Isaac Asimov and and all his works and, and short stories as well. Like science fiction, like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, generally consider the first science fiction book in the 1800s. Um, yeah, all right, Jules, all right. Jules Verne. <laughs> Sci-fi fiction has a long and uh, proud history. Gotcha. All righty. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a book guy, so that one line threw me off a bit. But I was like, yeah, it's probably different. Um, I, I thought that scene was so funny though, where he's like, <laughs> he's pretending he's working there, and it's like, oh, it's not scanning. He's like, I'm telling you, we're not selling your books. And then when they're in his warehouse, and he's like, I'd love to read your book. Let me see if I can find you a copy. And there's literal stacks of his book everywhere. I also just found it sad. So that- good. Even though he wrote the TVA handbook, literally only Casey has read that. Yeah. It's on every desk, but nobody reads it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a sad line, too. It's like, so I am going to be a best author. And Loki's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I like Casey a lot in this season. I just love how there was kind of a trio of fangirling. Okay. There was there was Casey, there was Ouroboros, and Victor Timely, and they were all just fangirling over each other the whole time. It was so funny. The only time, I'm going to be honest, the only time I found him interesting was when he was escaping from Alcatraz. That was like the only time. I was like, He's fine. He's like, he's an okay character. I remember him being the guy from season one saying that the Infinity Stones were a paperweight. Which back then, a couple of years ago, everybody was like, what? They don't matter? All 10 years of Marvel for nothing? But it's like, uh, yeah, he's he's fine. He's okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I'm blown away by the character, but I'm glad they used him more this season. Like you said, the most interesting he was was yeah, when he found out he was a, an escaped prisoner from Alcatraz. That was pretty yeah. cool. Which is interesting, which I didn't fully understand at first was like, okay, the multiverse is all messed up. So that's just a variant of him escaping from Alcatraz or if that maybe that was his original when the TVA got him and then wiped his memory. I don't know. There's it's a theory, but that'd be no, funny. it was a variant. They were all very okay. all everyone at the TVA. Yeah. Well, that's variants. what I mean. Like, is that the version before he got taken to the TVA? It was him at Alcatraz. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. Because yes. that would explain where the fucking people from Alcatraz are. <laughs> but also, like, the TVA is also like, fuck the other two. <laughs> Who cares about the other two? Basically, yeah. I like what they did with the rules of time travel in this show. They changed it. And I didn't notice yeah. it at first. Then Justin and I were talking about it as we watched the show, and we had to pause the show for like 20 minutes to try and break this down. Like, okay, why why are the rules different? So we have the endgame rules, which say if you go back in time and change anything, you're just creating a new branch on the timeline. 
You're you're basically just adding worlds to the multiverse is how they explain that. But time clearly moves linearly at the TVA. It doesn't work like that. Because it exists out of time, it doesn't do the multiverse thing. It doesn't add to the multiverse, but you're not supposed to be able to time travel at the TVA, but then Loki's time slipping brings him into TVA past, present, and future up to the point where he can prune himself. And it was Justin who pointed this out to me. It's like, well, yeah, like that that's not a... You couldn't do that in the other one. You'd never be able to meet yourself in the other version. Yeah. And also it's, um, I feel like the time slipping was more of like a condition he had in the first couple episodes. And then it just became a power he has. Whereas in Endgame, it was the actual Avengers physically going back to their past and almost interacting with themselves or interacting with their past selves. Whereas with well, Loki, with Loki, it's just him going to where he was back then or if he was going back there. So that was like the main difference that I well, saw. Well, there was the scene, there was the scene that he pruned himself though, right? Like the Avengers, if when they went back and fought each other, they were just making different branches of the timeline. But when Loki pruned himself, he directly went back to the past that he pruned himself to. So he like he was ensuring himself being there at the moment to prune himself. Like there there wasn't that kind of circular right yeah. time in in the um so I it's cool if they updated the rules subtly to be like, no, no, linear time travel that you, the way you know it does exist, but that's just how it works outside of time. Right, yeah. Makes sense. And uh, yeah, it all made sense to me because I, I think like the time slipping is a little bit different than like physically going there, but also the linear thing with inside the TVA as well. Um really enough so I thought they would play into it a bit more. Or my I predicted they would play into the like the time slipping a little bit more than they did. Like they didn't really talk do it between and like with episodes three or four. And then episode five was all about like the time slipping and him controlling it. I thought it'd be like the entire season thing. And I was surprised that it was like they fixed it and then he got it again. It was like, oh, it's not a condition. It's just something you're just evolving as a god. And uh, yeah, and I liked I liked how they did that. It was it was kind of a surprise. It was subverting expectations in the right way. You hear that? David Benioff and David Weiss assholes anyway i thought it was incredible that conversation he had with kang i'm like oh no are they really going Mm -hmm. back to season one are they just gonna rewrite all are they just gonna write season two out of existence like it never was scared about it i was ready but that conversation with kang was incredible when kang is just he's looking at this and then he just stops it so how many times you done this thousands what by now what's and then he's explaining everything to Loki, and then it's like, well, have you figured out how to, how to stop time yet? Like, well, yeah, well, you know, come come back around more times, and then we'll 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 talk. What makes you think this is the first time we've had this conversation? That was so good. Okay, was that was like, a great way to not okay. prolong like the runtime of the episode, where you've seen Loki time slip throughout it, and so in the, just that one scene, you could be you could just 
think subconsciously, nah, they've had this conversation before. Yeah, I really like the he who remains in this season. Mm-hmm. He was a lot more menacing. I did like yeah. him in season one too, but I liked how he gave him the the villainous ultimatum of there's nothing you can do, really. You kill her, this whole thing basically just loops back around mm-hmm. like we were, we're already here. Uh, you destroy the loom, the multiverse basically collapses because that's really the only thing that's holding it all together. Um, you, you, you try to, you let it blow up while then the fail safe enacts and the TVA is destroyed, but every, everybody else, it, it like, but I still exist at the end of this and everything just comes right back full circle. So what, what are you going to do? Destroy everything or let it be the way I already have it. And of course, yeah. Loki tries to pick neither and it blows up in his face, which is great. <laughs> Multiple times. Um, yeah, I liked, I liked that transition. Like season one, he didn't really feel like a villain. He just felt like kind of an obstacle for both of the Lokis to get over and the fact they had a purpose. But Jonathan Majors played much more into the villainous aspect of uh of he who remains and how he is kind of yes he is doing it for a purpose but you can tell there is some like selfish re- or he's got like a huge ego as well um is it renfield who's the what's her name with miss minutes oh renslayer uh, renslayer yeah when that scene with the i also love again i just love how the show is made when miss minutes is like showing the past she does it in like a little diagram, like a little past self, and you can see Renslayer in the background watching it the whole time. It's just, just oh, I love it. Um, and you can see yeah, it's like yeah, see- erase their memories, all of them, and it's just yeah, like he because he you know he heard it's the same thing that happened with Timely. You know, Renslayer wants to be partners and wants to work together, but every variation of Kane's like, no, this is this is all me. This, I don't do partners. I don't do that. This is all me, baby. Um, and I, I love do that. love how you got to see the ego more this yeah. time around. It's like, well, I did all this. Well, see, that the thing that was really egotistical to me was that he wasn't even willing to hear out other possibilities. He's like, no, I'm a genius. I thought it all through, and this is the only way. No, it's just you, you never really asked anybody else. This is just... Mm-hmm. You're thinking that your way is the only way. You never really tried. Nah, my way is the only way. And I'm going to build statues of myself at the TVA. Everybody revere me in one version of it anyway. Uh, It's also egotistical to think that every version of himself could be the end of the multiverse, even though it kind of will be. But he's like, no, no, I'm so bad. I have to defend the universe from me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah by by taking away everybody's free will it's the only way i swear mm-hmm. yeah speaking of free will i love the uh the topic of free will in this show because it's very like if you go to any psych class or any like film class in college they talk about free will if it ever pops up and it's very much so like a theory like do humans have free will or not or is everything predestined no, I don't think anything is a simulation because physically that's not possible. 
what I'm saying, like free will is just such an interesting topic where it's like, yes, people should have free will. It's just a right like human beings should have. But like at what level of free will should they have? And it's very much played out in the show that somehow it leads to everybody turning into spaghetti. And it's just the end of time with Tom Hilson sitting in black space, which is very scary. I did not like that. <laughs> it's because I guess too much free will overloads the universe and it can't keep up. Yeah, just can't do it unless you have someone at the uh, the epicenter of all that just controlling it. And I loved how when he's like grabbing all the different multiverses, he's like, like the multiverses, like he said it themselves, like they're dying off. He can still see that they're dying off, but he needs to be there to keep them alive with his energy. I don't know, his green stuff, his green mist. Um, and I just love that shot of him sitting on the throne, just holding all the multiverses together it's very it shows that hey loki is still a god and he is he's now becoming the god he was meant to be not the god he wanted to be for sure so going back to kang for a sec what did we think of victor timely he was fine i honestly like i get it like it's a character choice for when a lot of Directors or actors choose it like the stutter or anything, but I felt like it was a bit much. <laughs> I thought that like the like you could see the genius behind it, and I think Jonathan Majors did a pretty decent job with Victor Timely and the how you can tell he's a very different character from He Who Remains. But I just feel like the stuttering was a bit much, and I know like there's obviously people out there that stutter. I'm just saying it was a huge distraction for me. My favorite payoff for the stutter though is when they meet he who remains and he makes fun of victor timely stutter yeah that's really funny it really distinguished the two characters for me i thought victor time the episode where they found him was my least favorite of the season it like on paper it's cool they go to the world's fair hang around there for a bit there was some cool action victor timely is intriguing I like that he's a charlatan who does have potential, but he just physically can't live up to it with the technology from his time. Cool idea. Renslayer and Ms. Minutes are after him. Loki and Mobius are after him. Sylvie's after him. It all culminates. It just didn't add up somehow. I don't I don't know why exactly, but it just something about it didn't you too? Just me? Yeah, it just... It felt really weird because I didn't really understand Renslayer and Miss Minute's motivations for getting to him. And so it just felt like the chase for him was really strange. Because we know we, we need to get him to the TVA, uh, to like the Loom room to get his essence, his aura. Just to unlock the, the Loom door. But with Renslayer, it's just like... We need you back in power because reasons that I shouldn't know because my mind got wiped and I technically should not know who you are. But Miss Minutes does. Oh, wait, Miss Minutes probably told her what happened. Um, I think from my perspective, her her idea was, okay, we're going to get this version of Kang back. But because I'm the one teaching him, I'll have more power over him now. Yeah. I'm not just going to be a pawn anymore. I'll be an equal at the very least, a partner. 
because she felt she specifically talked about how underappreciated she felt for keeping the TVA afloat all these years. And she's like, I'm gone for two days and look how bad the place fell apart. Right. Yeah. So she just wanted to be appreciated and bringing back Kang, the only one who could save the TVA at that point. It was, it was kind of a power play. I'm going to steal the one piece everybody wants just so I have all the cards. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I also liked how like balls to the wall this show was in terms of like consequences. Like uh, when that whole that whole group of like ex-TVA yes. people yes. were trying to branch off everybody and then they got thrown in jail and then they went were going to uh, Loki's side against Miss Minutes and then Miss Minutes and Renslayer just murdered all of them in the room. With that, that cute shocking. thing. I was like, really oh, shocking. fuck. And then when Loki got control of X5, he just burst in the room and prunes. Like, well, after shutting down Miss Minutes, like prunes Renslayer. I was like, oh, it's not going to be drawn out like other projects. OK, cool. Love that. She's out Genuine of the way. Shocking moments in this season. Yeah. Great She's out of the way. Let's get to the actual fucking story now. <laughs> Death matters. Or there'll be consequences for it. Yeah. I wonder if she's fully dead or if they'll bring her back. Because I know she went to like that prune island or whatever at the end of time. And there's that time monster. But I do not see her surviving that. Because she's she's not like a Loki or a Mobius who finds a car there. So, I don't know. I think it's left ambiguous enough that if they want to continue with her, they, they can probably find a way to. And if not, guess she just died there. Whatever. I would I I would not care if she came back or not. <laughs> She's fine. She's an okay yeah. character. Actor is pretty good. Uh, once again, like basically everything else in this show, I liked her more this season because she finally got more to do. I also liked how they finally explained what set her apart from Mobius. Mm-hmm. When Mobius told the story of he was sent to prune that kid who would go on to kill so many people but he couldn't do it because it was a kid and then all those variant timelines happened anyway and he he let he was directly responsible for countless deaths and then Renslayer came in and just pruned the kid got the promotion yeah that was a good context for the backstory because even then he unconsciously realized that he was a father and he couldn't hurt a kid or he was just a good guy anyway just like jet skis and wants to do his job (laughs) to be fair i've heard some criticism with the jet skis not a lot just some where it's like it's played up too much those people have never been on a jet ski they're really fun um it's just the simple life right you know he's just a simple jet ski seller he's got a family whose wife isn't in the picture i don't remember if it's it's just the boys right yeah dead um and the boys seem fine because there was seem- there was the scene where he had two jet skis in the garage and he was going to give. Oh, one to that's Loki right. Like, yeah, ah, I don't really need this anymore. I love Moby. He's just a positive dude. Like he's got he's, you know, he's down on his luck sometimes, but he's even like the whole you like the entire multiverse is ending, and he's asking people if they want a slice of key lime pie, which then Sylvie like blows up on. Which oh, that you pissed know, her right, right off. Yeah, it pissed her off, and then kind of pissed me off. Where it's like, leave him alone. But I understand your <laughs> your conundrum. But he's just trying one of the to cheer best, everybody up. 
I thought one of the best jokes in the series was when they're talking about the uh, when Ouroboros is showing his gangway thing again. He's like, "Oh, it's incomplete," and the little model. It's like, and uh, and and this will be Loki. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no. That's, we're all in telling you for the basically. Why is well, that? I, me? I did it the first time. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. I also love when Victor Timely got disintegrated. That was shocking too. That was so shocking. Yeah. Immediately, just oh, okay. A part of me was like, oh, okay, and then I was like, there's another fucking villain dead. But it was just yeah, shocking. And then someone had told me that at work, uh, the fourth episode was like one of the biggest MCU cliffhangers of all time that they've seen recently. And after watching, it, I was like, yeah, pretty much. Like the entire world's ending. <laughs> Victor Timely gets blown up and then they all get blown up. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, I did not see that coming. Well, okay. Here's what I liked about Victor Timely. Now that I'm thinking about him a little bit more. I like that he's a good version of Kang. We get to see how this guy would be yeah. with more positive influences. He genuinely seems to want to help people with his inventions he did volunteer over and over again. We see him to put on that suit, get out to the gangway and fix the loom. Maybe because he personally feels responsible in a way for making the technology for that loom. But he does want to take responsibility for his actions. And you don't see, and he is a variant. So you don't see this as the kind of guy who would become Kang the Conqueror. So there is Victor Timely shows that there is a possible path for redemption of Kangs or that not every Kang is a megalomaniac who's going to destroy the multiverse. There are good ones out no, there. No, they're not he's not going to destroy the multiverse because he gets beaten by ants. They did acknowledge that in the show. <laughs> subtly. Well, it's funny cuz now there's theories about that cuz they said it Earth 616 adjacent. So now they're saying like if it's multiverse is there multiple 616s? But now my brain's broken and I don't really care. What? The best explanation I've heard is 616 adjacent is the quantum realm. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it like, time, exists outside yeah. of time, yeah. It exists kind of outside of time, but 616 characters can still get to it. So I think that was just a reference to Quantumania. The yeah. Nightman meeting him. No, yeah, it was because like the pictures were from Quantum Media, which made me feel like you wanted to reference this movie. <laughs> Somehow, it does make me feel a little better about it. Just this show builds up Kang as a threat so much better than that one did, yeah. and I know it really diminished him as a as a viable threat when even Ant Man and and his family can beat him basically single handedly. But that's just one version of Kang. And but that was like the fact the that we've version. seen. All right, never mind. Sorry, Keep we've going. seen better versions of him in Loki, and there's a whole multiverse of them out there. I'm still not really excited for this multiverse story, but Loki handled the concept better than anything else I've seen thus far. Yeah, and it wrapped up well enough on its own terms that I don't really care where it goes. But you tell you got me more interested than I have been since Endgame, and that's a big accomplishment on its own. So I'll give props to them for that. You you actually made me, you got me kind of invested again, just yeah. a little. I'm I'm hanging on the edge here, but 
for this show. Good job. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they even go with Kane in the future, you know, depending on how the whole Jonathan Major situation goes on. I know he's in court right now and we're, you know, if he did those things, condemn him. If he didn't, you know, who knows? But yeah, they're in a tough spot right now. Um, but we're just talking about his performance right now. We're not really getting into the, yeah. all that drama. We're we're movie reviewers, we're not, TV reviewers. We're not yeah. political and at, like analysts. But uh, we're talking about Jonathan Majors in terms of performance only. No comment on his character. Yeah, because we don't really know him that well. Speak to it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, see, it's so funny how like a streaming television show can build up Kang way better than the actual movie that was supposed to set up the full-on Kane the Conqueror villain because they understand who Kane is in the show and what his prowess is and how threatening he can be in multiple different versions instead of well, Bonamania the when they just follow the formula of killing off their main villain because that's what they just do. But that's what pisses me off in Quantumania because his performance is so good in that. And you can clearly tell that's supposed to be the conqueror. That's supposed to be the guy at the top. This is supposed to be the main one to to tackle the entire of the multiverse saga. Instead, he dies by a bunch of ants and Ant-Man. And then you see all of the Kangs mean together, all those different variants. And they all look like either like capless Kang the Conqueror or just random different versions of Kang. And that part really pissed me off coming out of Quantumania. Yeah. What I think is great about Loki's version, Quantumania, yeah, he's the Conqueror, but he's got all these tech powers, all this effectively magic nearly that he fights them with. He feels like a very typical supervillain. And he was kind of intimidating, but personally, I found Jonathan Majors a little dry in that movie. He was very, he was so stoic that I just wasn't that interested. Compare that to He Who Remains, and I am locked into this guy's every word, and he doesn't even have to throw a punch. No fancy tech gadgets or anything like that. It's just conversations in a room, and... He's got way more charisma as he who remains and Victor Timely as well. Just what he does on this show makes me more interested in Kang than the uh, typical supervillain version of Kang the Conqueror we saw in Quantumania. There's clearly more depth to this character that that movie didn't care at all to explore. And now I see the potential in it. Yeah, totally agree. They just knew how to write the character and treat the character and how to set him up for the next, what, five-ish years? If they'll, or if it even excuse me, like two years, yeah. Might not even um, happen. Who knows? Uh, I, like, I like how focused the plot was this season. Episodes yes. one, like season one kind of bounced around with a lot of different subplots. But season two was basically... Loom breaking, need to fix. Yeah, and everything basically. they did was to that goal. It was very focused. Like I said, and somehow none of it felt like filler still. And all the characters got good arcs in between that on their mission. 
and there were still cool subplots like the the branch of the TVA that wanted to stick to the original mission and prune all the timelines again. And the new branch who was like, no, let's, we can't do that. That's, that's evil. What are you doing? And they're still at odds, but also kind of on the same side compared to Renslayer and Miss Minutes who like everyone's kind of against them this season and they have their own thing going on. Like it's, it's complex, but focused at the same time. And they, and they pulled off all the varying threads very, uh, satisfyingly, I thought. I also like how, even though the entire plot has to do with this loom breaking, we don't figure out what the loom actually does till the very end. Mm-hmm. That was risky because they trusted people would be patient enough to ask those questions till the very end. Yeah, I, I loved how. It was sort of just a shock of like basically, yeah, it's just to control the timeline, but it's more so a fail safe. Like if everything, it's not meant to take in all these multiverses because that wasn't what he who remains wanted. He wanted to have his perfect vision of this sacred timeline and the fact because he could control uh, control it. And when they tried to make the loom bigger it was working but then multiverses keep going it's infinite it's you know like the line he says in the show it's like it's like trying to divide by zero you just simply can't do it um and the fact that it's just it's just another thing that adds to the he remains character of just like uh no i'm gonna make this a simple fail safe and not try to make it any better because this is my vision and this is how i want it it just adds more subtext to that character for me. And then somehow miraculously Loki just finds a way to be like, you know what? I'm just going to fucking blow up the loom and just get rid of this fail safe. And then I'm just going to let everybody have their free will. Doesn't work, but he finds a way to make it work. Yeah. Well, so here's a couple things. I didn't really care for this season. I didn't like, X5 slash Brad. And I also thought... (laughs) He was a weird addition. Yeah, I don't know. The actor just didn't really... eh, Something about his delivery was really off to me. I don't know if it was a choice or just his skills, but I eh, I don't know. The character didn't really work at all. He was fine. I think it was just the character. Acting was fine. It was okay. I didn't really, I kind of liked the idea of him that, oh, he was a variant who wanted to be a famous actor on earth and in horror movies or whatever it was. That's like, it was fun, but, and I also liked how he kept switching sides just for his own goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Didn't, didn't gel with me too well though on the whole. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but I noticed there was a very heavy use of film grain on this show uh, a was little it, bit is it, is especially like around or, the tva yeah yeah is it just me or just did the whole show look exceptionally grainy i didn't it was it was messing with me a little bit i'm like why does this look so grainy um i'm not sure i think like i don't know it's not i only really notice it sometimes during when they're in like the tva offices and not out in like different timelines, but I think that's just kind of like the 
color grade or the uh, aesthetic that the show's going for. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It also depends on like the quality of what you're what like what it's being produced on. I know that I'm lucky enough to have like my TVs able to show it in 4K or whatever it is, so it's going to be as clear as possible. But if you were like watching on your phone or a TV from you know that's only like HD 1080, you'll see that film grain even more. But uh, yeah, it's it's stuff like that. It's definitely grainy. I agree with you, um, which is a bit of an annoyance. I I don't like that when uh, people up the film grain because it adds the aesthetic or, oh, it looks old-fashioned. That doesn't mean it looks good. Not everything old-fashioned looks good. Film grain sucks. And I hate that some, even some teachers when I was in school, they were like, oh, when you're color grain, make sure to add a bit of film grain because it adds the aesthetic. It's like, why would did I shoot on a fucking $20,000 rented camera or $50,000 camera if I'm going to add film grain? Stupid. Don't let me, don't make, don't do that. Yeah, it's a choice, for sure. Well, that's that's about all I have to say for for the season. I I thought it was just a, it was a big improvement. They remembered Loki's Loki. They made it more of an ensemble show, to pretty great effect. Great twists, great production values, great characters all around. Good storytelling. I think this is must see TV. And gives me a little confidence Marvel can course correct in the coming years. If they, you said it at the beginning that they might only have one movie next year, and I'm hoping that's true. Good. Slow down, reevaluate. I've heard the failure of Quantumania really scared some people uh, in, in Marvel. Like, oh, maybe we are out of touch. So take your time. Re reevaluate. Maybe fire Jonathan Majors if if things go badly. Forget the multiverse saga. It's okay. You tried it. It's not working. Do you have to push it? That's just a little egotistical and stubborn. But maybe you can make it work. And I'll eat my words. I don't know. I don't think you need to though. Just move on. No, it'd be interesting because I know they're trying to integrate the X Men into it. I think they should try to do something more simple where they have like, I don't need an X-Men versus Avengers movie, but just have them integrate in a way and I don't know, just play play around with that. I'm pretty sure Deadpool is going to try and do that, but yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And I've heard both great things about the Marvels and shitty things about the Marvels. So I don't know. Uh, <laughs> The only great thing I've heard about it is Iman Milani as uh, is Ms. Marvel. She's great. She's great. That That's about it. Everybody else is basically saying, even the good stuff is basically what I expected and I still don't care. I just know it's merciful. Uh, it's short. I'm not going to try and say the word. <laughs> it may be mercifully short, but it's still a punishment. <laughs> Like getting shot in the head. <laughs> yeah, you can be merciful about it, but like, do you have to experience it at all? <laughs> that might be one of the best quotes you've ever said on this show. <laughs> well, uh, now that's we're our new merch. Out a... <laughs> <laughs> might just be. Stay tuned. Now we're going to try a new segment. 
that uh, we're going to call it Agree to Disagree, where we're going to pose a question at the end of episodes, just a, a debate question, just about the topic at hand, and just just talk about it for a couple minutes. So Ryan's got a question for me today. I'll I'll pick a side. What's your question? Well, I sort of stole this from the Escape Pod podcast. Shout out to you guys. Um, it's uh, sort of a basic one. We're going to start with a basic one for the first one because it's just kind of fun that way. Um, who do you think has a brighter future, Marvel or DC? Now, Marvel, I will let me put out all the points here. Marvel, again, after Loki season two, has a bit of a brighter future, but there's also the Jonathan Major situation. Uh, the Marvels is doing decently well, but it's got the lowest box office out of any Marvel movie, I think, I've heard, uh, opening weekend. But that doesn't really matter. Just word of mouth will spread and all that. Um, there's also X-Men coming out. Deadpool's coming out. But DC has this whole lineup of the uh, the new the new stuff coming out. Superman Legacy. But, hey, if that fails, what will happen to that franchise? So what's your opinion on that? DC has the brighter future. Yeah, and, I agree. <laughs> but you have to agree to disagree. Oh, no. <laughs> you have to argue Marvel now. DC has the brighter future because... Let's go back 80 years. Or even 20 years. That's better. Let's go back 20 years ago. When you think of Marvel and DC, what, what do you think of? DC, you got... Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Flash, the Justice League of America. They, they're household names that multiple generations have grown up with. They're, some of these characters are 80 years old, still going strong. They're the most popular superheroes on the planet still, despite the damage the brand has taken in movie form. They're still the most popular brand for the individual characters. Yeah, Marvel's got Spider-Man, X-Men, Fantastic Four, and in the last 10 years, they've elevated characters like Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor to A-list status, but they don't have those characters anymore unless they reboot, which I know a lot of people will be upset with. Spider-Man, I think, can survive because we've proven Spider-Man, Batman, and, uh, and Superman they, they all are characters with longevity. People will always go see a new Spider-Man movie, even if it's rebooted. But I think the MCU as a brand is tainted to the point where it's lost mainstream appeal. And I don't know if they're ever going to fully recover. I think it'll always be around in a niche way. But I think DC is taking the right strategy going forward. They're... Capitalizing more on individual movies led by interesting filmmakers with a unique vision than that also happen to tie into a universe as opposed to creating a shared universe to be a shared universe. And I think that's what DC has always done as a brand better. Batman can always just exist in Gotham City. You don't need... You don't need Batman to be part of a wider universe, but he can also work in that too. Same thing with Superman, The Flash, Wonder Woman. Like all, all their characters have their own little worlds that they've always been really good 
Uh, you can just do that, or you can be a part of the world too. Marvel, traditionally, has always needed that interconnectedness, and it's it's been a strength, and lately, it's starting to become a detriment to them. But that's just kind of what Marvel is at its core, and I don't think they can ever really pivot away from that. So DC will always be relevant just because it can it can keep reinventing itself just based on what it is. It can always have movies that will stand alone better than Marvel's. And Marvel's brand is just wearing thin. Yeah, I agree with you on the most part. If I'm going to play the more devil, uh, Jesus Christ, devil advocate uh, on this side, because that's what this segment's all about, is that Marvel's got like Disney money. So they'll all, <laughs> I feel like they'll still last for a long period of time. And since this is more about like a film podcast, if DC, like if Superman Legacy fails, like fails bad, fails more than Man of Steel did in terms of um, audience reception of it, because say what we will about Man of Steel, it was a well-made movie. I still think it's great. And a good chunk of the audience that watched it loved it. But Superman Legacy falls flat and is like a box office bomb. How much of like fans will come back to see the rest of that universe? You know, it's the same thing with uh, I think the flat was the flash a bomb. I don't think it was a bomb. Was it? I can't remember. It was, it was a bomb. Yeah, it was a bomb. And so it was supposed to be. Well, it was not really supposed to be now, but it was kind of hyped up to be the reset of the universe it didn't really do that. So there's not that much hype going into the new universe for uh, James Gunn's DC timeline. I still think there's still a lot there that is to be excited about, regardless if Superman Legacy fails or not. And he is taking his time with it. It's not supposed to come out until 2025. I mean, but if it does fall flat, what, what, <laughs> what will drive people to go see this specific timeline of this lineup. That's my only thing because look what happened with like the universal, like the dark universe they tried to do in 2017, right? They released the mummy that bombed because it was a trash movie. And then they didn't make any others. They probably will bring those monster movies back to life because that was the first like cinematic universe for Hollywood back in early thirties to whenever it was. But with this branch of timeline, it's just they have to n- almost nail Superman Legacy, I think, for a mass audience to really care about this universe of the Justice League. Because we haven't seen a well-done live-action Justice League in a while besides Snyder Cut, but that wasn't really mass-released. I'll counterpoint you there and say that DC... I think Marvel has the advantage in the short term just because their brand is still more established. DC has to get a footing again, but I do think DC wins long term just because of, like I said, who their characters Mm -hmm. are. They, they've proven they can successfully reboot once Marvel finally runs dry. I, then they're, then they're the ones doing the reboot starting from scratch, basically and have to build up again. But by that point, DC will have probably gotten something good going. And DC's also got these weird fail-safes, right? Is the funny thing. Because even if the DC universe fails, we still have a standalone Joker movie. We st- and, and that universe with Joaquin Phoenix. We still have the Matt Reeves Batman movies that are tangential. 
Like DC has already established itself as a brand that can do stuff as part as not part of the larger brand and still be successful. Yeah. Whereas Marvel, everything has to count and be a part of it. They can't do anything experimental. So I, I think DC just by design here has the advantage long-term, but Marvel's still on top right now. I agree. I don't, I, I agree on the long-term thing. However, a small counterpoint, I don't know how much of that long-term they'll be successful at if they stick with Warner brothers personally, because if they are afraid something's not going to do well, they'll scrap it for a tax write-off. They did that with Batgirl, and then I think they did that with a recent movie as well. Oh, they did that for, um, they shot a movie with John Cena. Oh, they just talked about this at work. I can't remember what it was. But it was supposed to be like, it was like a, ah, oh, I can't remember what it was, but it had something with John Cena in it. Well, you couldn't see him in it anyway. Um, but they just scrapped that, like another $20 million tax write-off. So I'm afraid the studio heads at that studio just won't allow them to be experimental. Um, but you could say the same thing with Disney and Marvel at the same time because they didn't really let the sequels for Star Wars be experimental or they haven't really let Phase 4 be experimental either. So, yeah. Yeah, so that seems like a decent place to wrap up. We don't want these debates to turn into whole episodes, but there's, there's a little taste for you. Uh, and... Whether you like or dislike this, uh, too bad. We're going to be on the next episode for sure. Yep. But And if you uh, guys have yeah. questions that we could, you know, use for this segment, please feel free to leave it down in the comments below or, you know, send a message on Patreon or whatever. Would be, it'd be a fun little segment to have at the end of each, uh, each podcast. Yeah, we'll try to keep them more contained. Maybe get a structure to them. We'll see. Just, uh, just keep it a little light. Anyway, that's Loki Season 2 review and a little debate for you. Plug your socials and let's wrap her up. Alrighty, well, you can find me at Ryan Walker Official on YouTube, TikTok, and on Instagram. And you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at ThoughtPlay Media. Also, check out the Close Up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates on the show. If you listen to us in audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. We hope to see you on the next close-up with Ryan and Joe, where I explain Doctor Who to Ryan, because he's never seen it at all. Till next time. Wow.